Let's pray together again this morning. Our Father, we are thankful for your great grace that you have shown us through your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and that for those who are trusting in him for their salvation, we can give you thanks and praise for all the blessings and benefits that are ours in Christ. We thank you, Lord, for your word that you have given to us. And as we look to your word now, we ask that your spirit would illumine the scriptures to us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Gray skies are going to clear up. Put on a happy face. Take off that gloomy mask of tragedy. It's not your style. Slap on a happy grin and spread sunshine all over the place. Just put on a happy face. Some of you may recognize those lyrics from the 1960s musical Bye Bye Birdie in which one character is sad and the other is trying to cheer them up with these words. Others of you may recognize these words in that you have been on the giving or receiving end of a similar type of sentiment or advice, encouragement. Cheer up. It'll be okay. Put on a happy face. I've done that. I'm sure we all have, right? No one likes to be sad, and no one likes to see other people sad. In fact, we like to get around it as fast as we can or just get over it quickly. We put on that happy face, that facade maybe, and pretend everything's going to be okay and spread sunshine. It's all right. My fear is that a desire to get around the sadness, the desire to avoid suffering at all costs, has made us think that grief and sorrow and despair are now, as one writer puts it, sub-Christian emotions. Those are beneath us. We're Christians. We're happy people. We don't get sad. We all know that's not true. We all experience suffering in this life. We all experience trials, hardships, Perhaps we have a broken relationship with a family member or a friend or even a spouse. Maybe we live with a chronic disease or illness that brings us great trials and suffering in this life. Maybe there's been a new medical diagnosis or even the loss of a loved one. And these things bring us great sorrow and grief. So the question is, what do we do with that sorrow and grief? Do we ignore it? Put on a happy face? Well, today I want to look to God's word and see what it is we can do. And we're going to look at the Psalms and see that what we can do is we can lament. We can lament. The Psalms are filled with emotion, if you read through them. In fact, John Calvin, when he writes about the Psalms, he says that they're an anatomy of all the parts of the soul. Because you see the psalmist write from the lowest of lows, from the depths of despair, all the way to the highest of highs, the greatest joys. And he's overflowing with thanksgiving and praise. But this morning we're going to look at a psalm of lament. We're going to be looking at Psalm 13, if you'll turn there with me. You may be asking, okay, lament, what is lament? 
I've heard the word. I know there's a book called Lamentations. What is lament? Well, to lament is to pour out your trouble to the Lord, to honestly describe and cry out to God what you are experiencing in your suffering. I love the way that David actually puts it in another one of his Psalms of Lament. In Psalm 142, he says, With my voice I cry out to the Lord. With my voice I plead for mercy to the Lord. I pour out my complaint before Him. I tell my trouble before Him. So in lament, when we experience grief and sorrow and agony and pain, what do we do? We pour out our trouble before the Lord. And as we do read the psalm of lament and consider it this morning, we'll see three benefits of lament. Three benefits of lament. And we'll notice, too, that there is a trajectory of this psalm as we read it. And we'll work through that together in these three benefits. Let's look now at Psalm 13. We'll read it and then go through the benefits together. Psalm 13. To the choir master, a psalm of David. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemies be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say, I have prevailed over him, and lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. The first benefit that we see of this lament is the benefit that lament brings clarity in our confusion. Lament brings clarity in our confusion. This one, you have to bear with me a minute. It'll take us a while to get there. But lament brings clarity in our confusion. From the very beginning of the psalm, you see that David is in utter despair and anguish. The refrain he repeats four times of how long gives us a sense of the suffering he's experiencing. How long? How long? How long? How long, O Lord? Spurgeon, when he writes about this psalm, even says it almost seems as though he's howling to God in this lament. How long, O Lord? He seems to be overwhelmed, to be burdened, to feel alone. We see in verse 1 here that David, as he's pouring out his trouble to the Lord, he says, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? 
he seems to be experiencing that God has forgotten him. And this experience is one that's ongoing. It's not just a right here and now. This has been happening in whatever circumstance David is experiencing, and he seems to think that it's never going to end. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? Are you going to keep forgetting me, God? And then he says, How long will you hide your face from me? It's enough that he senses that God has forgotten him. He's saying here, it seems, God, that you've not only forgotten, but you're hiding from me. That you're masking yourself from me. That I can't see your hand at work. I I can't see that you're doing something here. David seems to be in darkness, feeling alone, and not able to make sense of it. It's like if you're ever in a tunnel that doesn't have any of the lights in it and there's a bend in the tunnel so when you're in that bend you can't see any light behind you or before you it's just darkness and it seems like it will never end or if you're in a dark cave or somewhere and you can put your hand to your face and you can't even see it this is the darkness that david seems to be experiencing here and he feels completely alone and in anguish. And this sense that God had hidden his face from David was one that would have been a major blow if we consider David's desire in other psalms that he wrote. In Psalm 27, David says in verse 4, One thing have I asked of the Lord, and that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of of the Lord. And then in verse 8 he says, "You have said seek my face." And my heart says to you, "Your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me." And here David senses that God is hiding, that he has forgotten him. He's in darkness. And then he continues, and we see this confusion that's brought on by the darkness in verse 2. How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? Something very interesting taking place in verse 2. When David says, how long must I take counsel? We think of counsel, we think of wisdom, insight, advice, help, thoughts, our mind. And you notice that David's saying, how long must I find that counsel and help and thought in my soul? He says, we don't think with our soul. Our soul, as scripture would have us see, is the center of our emotions, our heart, where we have feeling and emotion. And David here is saying, how long must I take counsel in my soul? There's confusion happening here. David's emotions, his feelings, what he's experiencing is clouding his thoughts. The sorrow is overwhelming his thinking. He's not able to make sense of it. There's also the sense in which here David is saying, God, I can't figure this out. How long is this going to go on? I'm trying to get around this. I'm trying to figure my way out. I'm stacking up plans, as it were, and none of them work. I'm stuck in this agony. How long, O oh Lord, will this go on? It doesn't make sense. 
I'm stuck. Confused, overwhelmed with emotion. I can't figure this out, God. And then, heap more on the pile at the end of verse 2. How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? My enemies are exalted over me, it seems. You can sense the despair, the anguish, the sorrow that David is experiencing here. So you say, where's the clarity? doesn't seem like there is any. It just seems like darkness and confusion. Well, if you think through what David is pouring out in his trouble before the Lord, the clarity comes in that he's beginning to identify what the trouble is he's experiencing. When he says, God, it seems you have forgotten me. God, it seems you have hidden from me. God, my thoughts are confused by my feelings. I can't make sense. I can't get out of this. God, my enemies are being exalted over me. He's beginning to put his finger to the problem. So when we experience sorrow and grief, and despair, and sadness. We lament. We pour out our trouble before the Lord. And in that lament, we begin to identify what it is that is causing this sorrow and this anguish. We begin to get some clarity. I like the way that one writer, Sinclair Ferguson, puts it in talking about this. He says that when we begin to honestly pour out this trouble and explain to God, we're no longer at our lowest point. The tide has turned and we're on our way up again by the fact that we're identifying what it is that our troubles are to the Lord. So as David cries out to the Lord and asks how long, he begins to identify the trouble, and then that brings us to the second benefit of lament. And the second benefit of lament is that lament helps us then look outside of ourselves and ask God for help. Lament helps us look outside of ourselves and ask God for help. He's come to the realization in that clarity that He can't figure this out. His plans aren't working that he's stacking up. He's stuck and he doesn't know what to do. And so his lament now helps him look outside of himself to find help from God. He turns to God and he asks God, very specifically here we'll see, that God might remove these troubles from him. Let's look at verse 3 and 4 where we'll see this benefit. Verse 3, Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him, lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. At the beginning of his request, David says, Consider me. He's asking God to look to him. This coincides with the fact that he seems to 
feel forgotten by God. He's saying, forget me no longer, God, but look to me, consider me, see me in my troubles. He's asking specifically that God would help him as he feels forgotten. Consider, look to me, just to look, God. And then he says, answer me. This goes along with, how long will you hide your face from me? He says, Lord, hide no longer and answer me when I cry to you for help. Look to me, see me, don't forget me, don't hide from me. Answer me in my cry for help. He's beginning to ask very specifically for help from God in the deep sorrows and struggles that he's experiencing. We begin to see even now that this next part, a shift begins to happen for David. He begins to shift now and it seems as though he begins to think on God's promises as he's asking for help. Like in the scripture reading this morning in Psalm 119, the psalmist asks God to be faithful to his promises as he considers them. He said, Oh, let your steadfast love come to me, O Lord, your salvation according to your promise. So here, even in Psalm 13, we'll see David begin to recall promises that God has made to his people and ask God to be faithful to his promises. Look in verse 3, he says, Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. And we don't know if David was experiencing physical suffering and was near death. We don't know if that's the case or if it was just anguish that seemed as though he could die. But here he makes a request of God that he would light up my eyes. And he seems to be recalling promises of blessing that God had given to his chosen people through Aaron. The blessing we find in Numbers chapter 6 that many of you know and have heard before. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. David seems to be recalling these promises that God has made to bless his people, to provide for his people, to protect his people, to make his face to shine upon his people. And here he says, Lord, light up my eyes. Be faithful to your promises that I might experience yet again your blessing, your provision, your protection. And then he's asking God to be faithful to his promises that he would be victorious, that God would ultimately be victorious. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him and lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. Here David is saying, Oh God, you have promised that you will be victorious. And my enemies seem to be prevailing. And God, I am your chosen king for your chosen people. And my enemies are your enemies. God, don't let them be victorious. Be true to your word, faithful to your promise. Uphold your promises that you might be victorious. He's asking very specific things. As he's identified earlier, what the trouble is he is experiencing. And we don't want to miss, too, in verse 3, who exactly David is asking for help. 
Back at the beginning of verse 3, it says, Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Earlier he had cried out, O Lord. And now he's saying, O Lord my God. As God's promises are beginning to come to David's mind and he's beginning to have a shift of focus, he's beginning to remember, Oh, I can look outside of myself to help from God, my God. God who has made promises, who will be faithful to his promises. The God who cares for me. Makes me think of a verse that says, cast all your cares on him. Why? Because he cares for you. We belong to a God who cares for us, who longs for us to pour out our trouble before him so that we might look outside of ourselves for help. And what's more, O Lord, my God, don't forget, we have a God, we have a Savior who understands our suffering. Consider the Lord Jesus Christ. Consider Isaiah 53. He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. If anyone could pray the lament of Psalm 13, it would be the Lord Jesus Christ, wouldn't it? Or how about the lament of Jesus in the garden before he was crucified? He laments. He says in Matthew 26 to his disciples, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. And then he goes to pray and he prays, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. We have a Savior who understands our suffering. And we can look to him for help. Hebrews chapter 2 and Hebrews chapter 4 are so helpful when we are thinking of a Savior who understands. Hebrews chapter 2 and 4 speak of Christ who is made like us in every respect so that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest. He's one who has suffered and is able to help those who are suffering. So we can go with confidence and draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. We have a God and a Savior who understands our suffering. And we can look to him as we experience the darkness and the suffering and the sorrow and the despair. We understand that we can't do this on our own. How long is this going to last, God? I need your help and I know you can help. And I know that you understand my Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, is a suffering Savior who understands. And so David begins to look outside of himself and ask for help. He's thinking on God's promises. His emotions and the clouds are beginning to be lifted. And he's beginning to think again with his mind and focus on God and his word. And then that brings us finally to the third benefit of lament. The third benefit. And the third benefit of lament is that lament helps us trust in a God who is faithful. 
Lament helps us trust and rest in a God who is faithful. Look at verses 5 and 6. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord who has dealt bountifully with me. This psalm is only six short verses, and from verses 1 and 2 compared to verses 5 and 6, we think, what happened? What happened? Put those two sections next to each other. It doesn't make sense. David, in utter despair and anguish and sorrow, and now here, rejoicing. He's trusting. He's found joy and delight and confidence. And hope. Well, we don't see David say, Thank you, God, for answering my prayers and taking care of my problems. Now I will rejoice and give you thanks. That's not what he says here. His external, outward situation of pain and anguish, whatever's bringing that suffering to him, has not changed. It's not been lifted. It's not been dealt with, but there is something that has changed inwardly in David, in his heart. His focus has shifted and changed. Nothing outside has changed, but something inside is beginning to shift and change. That happens to us in our suffering and trials sometimes, right? Like David, we experience a trial or suffering that just never seems to end. And when we ask God for help and cry out to him for mercy, sometimes things don't change and they continue all the same. But notice, for David, there is an inward change and this can be true of us as well. Here he begins verse 5 by saying, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. There's a sense here in which David is saying, God, I have trusted, and since I have trusted, here now in this suffering, I will continue to trust. It's been my habit to trust in you. Now I can continue to trust in you, and I will trust in you. It's ongoing trust. And what is he trusting in? He says, I have trusted in your steadfast love. Love. You recognize steadfast love mentioned many, many times in the Psalms, the Old Testament. And it's important that we don't miss that he's trusting in God's steadfast love and what that means. Steadfast love, whenever you read that, you ought to think of God's redemptive love. This is God's covenant love that he has committed to pour out on his chosen people that he has promised to his people. And so now, as the emotions and the clouds are being lifted and he's beginning to think clearly and focus now on God and his promises, he says, oh, I lost sight, God, and now I'm remembering your promises and that you are true to your word and that you have promised your steadfast love. And I will trust and rest 
in your steadfast love. We can and should rest and trust in God's steadfast love. It's the gospel. We who are sinners with nothing to do to fix our sin problem, with nothing we could do to earn God's favor, we come to an understanding of our sinful condition. We look outside of ourselves to the Lord Jesus Christ, the suffering servant who would come and suffer ultimately on the cross, paying for our sin where he would be crucified and die and be buried. But then he would be raised for our justification. And he is now ascended and seated at the right hand of the Father where he is our advocate, our mediator. He intercedes for us. He's praying for us in our suffering, in our weakness, and he understands our suffering and sorrow. So when our mind is beginning to clear and we remember God and his promises, we cling to Christ, our Savior. We cling to the hope that is ours in Christ. And we can say, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. And I will trust in your steadfast love. Even though this is going on around me, even though there's suffering and pain and anguish and sorrow, God, I can trust in you, my Savior, my God. And that brings joy to David's heart. He says, my heart shall rejoice in your salvation. There may not be joy about this circumstance I'm in. Oh, but there is joy to be found in my salvation, God's salvation that he has provided through his son to us. We focus on God and his promises. We look to God and his promises. Promises like Psalm 46, where God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Or even promises that the Lord Jesus Christ made here while he was on earth about future resurrection hope when he said in John 11, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. There's hope in the promises of Jesus. Or even promises thinking about David in his darkness, unable to see what God is doing and how God is at work. I think of Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, where Paul says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. God will finish what he started. He will finish what he started. Or how about the promises of our future hope and inheritance in First Peter? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. These are precious promises that we can remember and cling to as we hold fast to the hope of our salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ in the midst of suffering and promises of what will be true. We read in Revelation that he will wipe every tear 
from our eyes. Death shall be no more. There will be no mourning, no crying. And we can be sure of these things, as sure as Jesus is raised from the dead. We can know that we have a hope in the midst of suffering. And in verse 6, David finishes by saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has dealt bountifully with me. There's a sense here in which David is thinking future out there. He asked the question, how long, O oh Lord, will this go on? And now here he's looking out and saying, I don't know how long, Lord, this will last. But here's what I do know. I will sing to the Lord. It may not be today. It may not be tomorrow, next week, next month, years down the road. But we can be sure, along with David, that it will be true, that we will sing because he has dealt bountifully with us through the Lord Jesus Christ one day for all eternity. We'll never fully exhaust the praises of our God and rejoice in the salvation that we have in him and him alone. So as we experience sorrow and suffering and pain and anguish in this life, we lament. It's something that we don't often do, talk about. We don't often pray that way. The Psalms are filled with Psalms of lament. I'd encourage you, look through the Psalms and see how we in our suffering can pour out our troubles before the Lord, begin to find clarity as we tell God of our trouble. Then looking outside of ourselves to God for help and beginning to focus on His promises and finding joy in His steadfast love, His salvation and our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ and the hope that we have in Him. One writer speaks of the way that David has had a dramatic shift here at the end and he says the psalmist entrusts himself to this pledged love of God, this steadfast love, this committed love. And he turns his attention here not to the quality of his faith, but to its object, the Lord Jesus Christ, and its outcome, which he has every intention of enjoying. And we can turn our gaze from here, the suffering now as we lament, and look to the object of our faith, the Lord Jesus Christ. Find joy and hope and help in time of need as we rest in trust in a God who is faithful. Let's pray. God of all comfort, we thank you that you indeed are faithful. You are a faithful God in whom we can trust. We rejoice, Lord, in the salvation that we have through your Son and the hope that we have because of the blessings and benefits that are ours in Christ. 
as we experience grief and sorrow in this life, God. And we pour out our troubles to you. Lord, may we be reminded time and time again of our Savior, Jesus, who is a merciful and faithful high priest. And may we find help in time of need. And may we find joy because we have been born again to a living hope. Oh, Lord, we long for the day when our faith will be made sight and we will receive the inheritance that is being kept in heaven for us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll close with these words from Second Thessalonians chapter 2. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. Amen. You are dismissed. Have a wonderful day.